morning, everybody. Great to see you guys today. So excited to be here. I just love it when Bob does the, everyone who does the announcements is so funny. Mostly just watching you guys squirm is funny. <laughs> but you do a good job. You do a good job. Oh, great. Hey, why don't we just pray? Why don't we just pray and then we're going to jump in into the word here. Uh, Lord, I thank you for, for this morning. I think that we just gathered here. We can, we, we can gather here. We have a place to gather, Lord. And we have a reason to gather, Lord. We have a reason to gather, and that's just because we want to hear from you. We want to see what you're doing. We want to recognize it. We want to just get in line with what you're doing, Lord. We want to uh, respond to you, Jesus, as you are making yourself known throughout the whole world and in our lives. Uh, God, we, we come to uh, the living God, you know, the God who isn't dead. He doesn't confine himself to the pages of Scripture. He's totally in them. Lord, your spirit is speaking to us through this word, but also, Lord, you're speaking, Lord, um, in our lives, Lord. We want to listen to you. Lord, we want to hear from you and, uh, and just give our lives more and more to you, Lord, to be a church uh, where you're present and that seeks your, your presence and your face and your glory in every moment. So as we come into your word, just speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Hey, so we're just going to read a section. We're going to read through the section that we're going to read. So this is Acts 11, 19. You can read along, or I'm going to have it up here. Yeah, just uh, we're not going to do tons of verses today. So Acts 11, 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and, and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And then the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then, when he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he began to encourage them, all with a resolute heart, to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And then he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met in the church, and they taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. We're looking at a passage today. Um, it's the sort of passage that we can just read and just kind of gloss over. It just seems like a little footnote in history. It seems sort of interesting. But I think it's really a remarkable passage for a lot of reasons. Uh, the, fact is, the fact that this, this gospel message, this, this word that Jesus went around teaching, goes uh, out into the Roman world and begins to take root outside of the, the kind of Jewish culture that it was first really accepted into, it is, it is very astounding. It is, it is a remarkable thing that this happened. And as we've been seeing, like, like a lot of Jews early on believed in Jesus. There was a large movement of men and women from Jerusalem, religiously Jews, who, who started to believe in him, right? And, and the, the church was thriving in Jerusalem. But suddenly persecution comes. Persecution comes. And as persecution comes to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers were, were basically sent out. They, told, they were told by the apostles, you guys need to leave. We're going to stay and continue to do what we're called to here. But we're going to send everybody else out. 
So they went all over the place, all over the known world at the time. And there, was, there were Jewish settlements all over the Roman world. Um, and so they would go back to these places, back to these Jewish communities, and, and they would go there. Um, and, and most of them, when they went out, since they were, they were culturally Jewish, uh, they, 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 they had this idea about the gospel that it was, that it was good news, but it was good news specifically for Jewish people. And, and so they went, and they taught about Jesus all throughout the known world, but as it says here, most of them just went to the synagogues. They went to the Jewish people, and they told them all about this Jewish Messiah, Jesus. They didn't share the message with non-Jews, most of them, because they thought, well, look, this is, what, this is who it's for. It's for these Jewish people. This is a Jewish Messiah, because they assumed that for a non-Jew to come in and, ha- and partake of what God's plan was, for that to happen, there would have to be some steps along the way, and the first step was they would have to become Jewish first. So anybody could come. Anybody could come and convert to Judaism. They could be circumcised, fun, and then they could obey all the rules of the law, and that was totally open, but the first step was you got to become Jewish, and then you can learn about the Jewish Messiah. And then you could be cleansed. You could be cleansed from all your filthiness and uncleanness through the keeping of the law. That was what they thought. That was the framework, the way they thought about the world. And we talked about the last few weeks about how, like, you know, the Jews saw the world. They saw the world divided up into clean and unclean, clean and unclean, things that were acceptable to God, things that were not acceptable to God. And for for the Jews who wanted to worship Yahweh, their God, they believed that cleanness matters. Being pure, being clean was how they kept themselves holy and devoted. It was how they practiced their their worship to God. Their calling, as they understood it, was to be different, to be different on purpose. Not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of holiness, to set themselves apart to God by the practices that they had. And in their view, God was good, and he's God of the, a good God of the whole world, good God of the whole world. But if people wanted to worship God, then they had to deal with their uncleanness first. And they would do that by obeying the law, leaving their old culture and customs behind and becoming Jewish. But as we see this morning, some of these religious people, some of these religious Jews, particularly the ones who weren't originally from Jerusalem, but from like Cyrene, Crete, different, different parts of the world, they decided that they were going to tell non-Jews about Jesus. They said, well, why should we let our cultural barriers and stuff get in the way? So they come to Antioch, and they talk to non-Jews about Jesus, and considerable numbers are interested. They respond, they turn, and they think, oh, this sounds like really good news for us. Again, this little story is easy to read. It's easy to read and think, well, well, of course they did, yeah, Uh, but we can, we can lose sight, I think, unless we're just paying attention of how intense this cultural shift was. The fact that non-Jews are coming in, right? We, we talked about that all last week as, as what we see what God is doing. God is doing something remarkable. God is defining the expectations of his people. He's launching a worship revolution, He's opening up a way to holiness, to know him, to, to, to participate in life with him, to worship him. But it's not exclusive to the culture of Judaism. It's being open to all people. He's not bypassing holiness. He's saying, no, there's a way to be holy. There's a way to worship me in spirit and in truth that I am making available. 
being right with God, being acceptable to God, no longer comes through law-keeping. There's a new way to be set apart to God, and it's not about culture or ritual or law or circumcision. It's a new way. Hebrews 10, 19 says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way which he inaugurated us through the veil, that is his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the household of God, let us draw near with sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the religious Jews thought the only way to have a clean heart before God was to sacrifice, to follow these things, to obey the rules, to keep them strictly. But as, as the writer of the book of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, explains to the Hebrews, these, these, these religious people, he says, you have a new and living way of cleanness and rightness and acceptability before God. It's not through the rites and rituals of the temple. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus and faith in what he's done that you are made pure and right and can have a relationship with God. It is a new and living way. It is a drastically different way of thinking about how I can be right before God, and it is all because of what Jesus has done. This great high priest has come in and once and for all been the sacrifice that takes away sin, that buys forgiveness, and opens up a way for us into the presence and a presence of God so that we can know him and follow him with hearts full of assurance, sprinkled clean, washed, and dedicated to him. Now the good news is this, you can be clean and accepted by God and have a relationship with him because of what Jesus, is, has, Jesus has done. You're accepted by virtue of Jesus' sacrifice. So holiness, right, which still matters, but being set apart for God, being holy, isn't about obeying the laws in this strict way. It's about having faith, trust, belief that what Jesus has done is enough. And that we can really trust God and follow him on the basis of, 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 the, of the goodness and forgiveness of Jesus. So it is truly amazing what God has, is doing here. It's truly amazing that these, this Antioch, this, this, this Gentile, non-Jewish church is coming in and forming. Because for 2,000 years, the Jews have believed that for people to know God, to have a relationship with God, they have to go through law. If they want to know God, they have to adopt Jewish culture. But with the pronouncement of the gospel, the knowledge of God, a relationship with him is released from cultural captivity. It's released from the culture of the temple. The gospel is not culturally captive any longer. It's superculture. The gospel is not confined to the rites and rituals of Judaism. It is available to all people. It goes into the whole world. It's good news for everyone who would hear it. Because they don't have to just give up their, their, their customs and their ways. No, they can follow Jesus, sprinkled clean, forgiven of sin, and pursue him with a heart relationship, with all of their spirit, with all of their soul, right where they're at. There's not this do not pass go, right? You don't have to collect $200. You don't have to go to jail. Instead, you just have this new and living way of following Jesus, being alive to God. John 1, in the intro of John 1, he talks about this. He says this, he was in the world, the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. 
He came to his own, talking about Jesus. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But this is the good news. As many as received him, as trusted him, as accepted his sacrifice, put their life in his hands, he, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Any of those who believe in his name, who were born not of uh, not of the will of, of who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not about your bloodline anymore. It's not about you being Jewish anymore. It's that God is bringing life, and, and he's, he's inviting people in who are far from him just to know him, to receive him, to trust in him. It's, it's something that he's doing. He is authoring it. He is sending his gospel out, and it is beyond culture. It's something that gets into every culture. It is good news for all people. God is revealing himself to all people. Whoever receives him, you're, gonna, you're going to have a life with him. You're going to become a child of God if you trust in him, if you give your life to him, if you turn from this old way that is just about like trying to, to appease some, some cultural values or, or like, like trying to earn your way into God's kingdom. If we just accept that God, Jesus has died for us, like we can have a relationship with him. And we receive that by faith. It's not captive to culture. It's not captive to law. It's not captive to works. It's an invitation available to all people. We have to understand how strange this was, because it is strange. It is a strange thing to believe, the things that Christians believe. We believe some strange things relative to what everyone else believes. It was strange because, right, yeah, for 2,000 years, the, the Jews were sure, man, no, this is the way we know God. We know God through, through law and through culture, and then suddenly God does this new thing that he's, he's playing out here in the book of Acts. Not only strange for that reason, though, there's another reason that the gospel in this movement of the church is very strange. The gospel is strange because, like, it's not culturally captive to Israel anymore. But it's also strange because it doesn't fit in the normal categories of religion in Roman culture either. It just defies everyone's expectation about what it means to worship God or who God is, what God wants from us. Here's what I mean. I want, you, I want us to think about Antioch for a second, okay? Antioch was a, a super religious place, as was most of the cities in the Roman world. Antioch was a really important city in Rome. It was the third largest city in all of Rome. And Rome was a giant empire, right? Behind Rome and Alexandria, it's Antioch. Antioch was a, a major hub of the empire. It was a trading center. Uh, it was on a river. It connected the river that was just a couple miles inland from the Mediterranean. So it was a good place to get around the Roman world. So a lot of trade went through there. There, there. When there's trade, there's wealth. It was a very wealthy city, a very cosmopolitan place. It was full of all the cultural influences of the entire Roman Empire. And because of that, it was also an extremely religious place, an, an extremely religiously tolerant place, full of religious practices, full of many different ways to worship God. And that was really a point of pride for Antioch. Uh, Rome grew, right? Rome grew and became this giant empire because it was able to, to integrate the empire. And it was able to do that because it was, well, militarily mighty, right? So through uh, suppressing uh, its enemies, but also because it, could, it would adopt religious practices of, of the day. Right? If you wanted to, if Rome took you over, they wouldn't say, you have to worship our gods. They would say, tell me about your gods. 
They would say, perfect, we're going to take your gods and we're going to add them to our group of gods and we're going to put them in a god bag and you can choose whatever gods you want in there. If you want to keep worshiping yours, great. We encourage you to worship ours, that's great. Whatever you want. We are Rome, we're so tolerant and we're so kind, right? But, but you know, the thing is, like Rome didn't worry about it because they, put, they made a little box, right? And they put all the gods in there and they, they said, you know what, if we just let people get whatever they want out of the box, the thing is that it doesn't make much of a difference. Because in, in the world, like at the time, like in the Roman world, like worship was just like one little thing that stayed in a little box. It wasn't a big deal. Rome said, well, we have all the political power, but let people have the religious, whatever they want. It doesn't matter because it doesn't make a difference who they worship, so they thought. Because the box is tiny and we can close the box when we want to close the box, so let people keep whatever they want in the box. Fill your box with whatever you want. The bargain that Rome made was that it just didn't matter what God's people worshipped because worship didn't make much of a difference in their lives. Whatever box people fill, whatever the people put in their box, that's fine, according to Rome. But this movement of faith in Jesus, they find very quickly, it doesn't fit in the box very well. It doesn't fit in the box very well. It defies the cultural categories of Roman religion. It's not like all the other ways of worshiping God that Rome was so familiar with and so tolerant of. These people are different. Uh, there's a scholar named Larry Hurtado. He describes the difference that the, that the Christians, the, the ways in which they were different. He says this, there were several important components of what we would call religion in the ancient world that were missing in the early Christian groups which also made early Christians a very different kind of religion. Here's the things. There were no images of their deity. There were no Christian altars or sacrifices. These were ubiquitously essential in religious life throughout the Roman world. There was no Christian priesthood either, at least not for the first couple of centuries. There were no temples. There were no shrines. The absence of these things made early Christians odd as a religious movement in that time. You get how weird Christians would have seemed? Like they come believing this thing that's like a religion, but it just doesn't look like a religion. The gospel of Jesus and the church that worshipped him, they were strange by Roman standards. This new faith did not fit into the little box of Roman culture and religion. No image of their gods? How strange. How do they worship? No priests? Who do they give their money to? You know, how do they make themselves pure and right? No, no temples? I mean, where's the place where the, the, the holy place? Like, they don't have an altar? They don't have a place to sacrifice? The Romans would have thought, is this even a religion? Can you even call this a religion? It certainly doesn't count according to our standards. See, Christians had no image of their God. They believed that the body of Christ was the living Jesus working in the world. They were worshiping the Holy Spirit and seeing God work in the world. Christians had no priests. They had this idea that all the priesthood of all believers, everybody was coming in. Everyone was participating in God. Everybody could know God. There was no mediator, no priest necessary. We could go straight to God because we have access into the Holy of Holies by faith. They had no temple. They were each considering themselves to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Their lives, their bodies, the Holy Spirit lived in them. They could experience God and worship him every time, all all the time. Christians had no altar for sacrifice. Their everyday lives were an offering to God. And Jesus had been the once and for all sacrifice that made it so that they could worship him 
forever and trust in him and know his grace on a daily basis. There was a worship revolution. Probably most of you have read, read Romans 12, right? Romans 12, 1, pretty famous, famous verse if you've been around the church for a little while. But I want you to think of that in light of this context, right? I'm going to read you Romans 12, 1. What Paul says in Romans 12, 12, 1, and again, he's talking to the Romans, but it's again, a similar culture is to what would have been in Antioch. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What Paul explains there to the church in Rome, he's, he's, he's painting a very vivid picture of religious life. And we have to understand, like, I think we miss this unless we think about the context. He's one of contrast, right? He's saying, he's saying, look, in the world all around you, there are people, they're doing their religious things. They're sacrificing things. You don't have any of that stuff. You don't have this altar where you can go and sacrifice on. You don't have priests who are telling you, yeah, you're, you're good, you're right. Like, we've performed your rites and rituals, so, so you're clean, you're right. What Paul says is you don't have any of that stuff. Lean into that fact. And instead of trying to adopt some, some like weird right or ritual so that you can be right, like just lean into faith and live your life as a total sacrifice before God. You don't need to take on the rites and rituals or take on some cultural thing to make you feel like you've checked the right boxes. You live a life of spiritual worship. You live in your body like a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God. That's this worship revolution that you've been a part of. It doesn't look like the rest of the world. Yes and amen, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. His idea was that you need to lean into this distinctiveness, into this difference, and live as a fully devoted person to God, not as just like a person who keeps God in a little box. Like we think about Israel, right? I mean, like Moses goes up to the mountain, Sinai, to, to receive the law from God. He comes back down not very long later, and they've made this golden calf. And they say, well, we just want to worship like everybody else, right? We need to have an altar. We need to have an image of our God so that we can worship. And, and, and that's, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. Just a long story short, right? And then later, like, they, they want a king. They want a king. They say, we want to have a king so that we can be just like all the other nations. There's always a temptation among religious people to just say, let us just look more like everything else in the box. Let us just limit our worship to just, like, we can just do something, and then we can say we did it, Right? Let us just like be like everybody else. I, I've gone through that in my life, you know. I, I, I kind of like 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 when you when you, you get saved. Like I was saved when I was thirteen, and it was it was good. Like I think I was truly saved, but I just didn't know how to live my life like this, like as as a way like where I'm I'm like not just putting in the box. And and what I did over time is I just I just made a little box. I, I made a li list of things that I said. Well, this must be how I do it. And so I go to church, right? Church can be on that box. I, you could say, oh, I went to church, so I must be worshiping God. Like, that must be all there is to it, right? Or, or I read my Bible for 15 minutes a day. Well, it's really five minutes, but 15 minutes a day. I, I read my Bible, for, and so I do that, and so I must be, I, I, I'm doing something right. That must be what God is talking about, right? Or I could, you know, give my money to the church, and that's, that's part of what it means, right? But all those things, like, like can, can either be, they can either be true expressions of my desire to seek the Lord with everything, with my whole heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, like those are ways that we do that, or they can just become things that I can say, well, I did it, and so now I don't have to worry about God anymore. I can go about my business. 
I, I could just adopt it as some cultural box that I, can, that I can put God into and just say, now I don't have to worry about you anymore. See, the Antiochene Christians, Christians from Antioch, they had worship. It wasn't like the pagan worship. It wasn't even like the Jewish worship. It wasn't like any of the worship that, the, that Antioch had seen before. It was a new way to do the same thing, but it was new and living, and it was true, and it was real. They were set apart. They were holy, not because of rituals, because their whole life was about Jesus. Um, Eugene Peterson like, did this translation of the Bible. It's called The Message. Some people don't like it. I'm sorry. Uh, but he does this same verse this way, right? He says this. I just like, what he, I just like the way he did this. He says, Romans 12, 1. So uh, here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That's what it was. That's what these people from Antioch did. Christians had a very different way of worshiping God. And so it is really surprising. It is really surprising that this Christianity began to spread in Antioch because this movement was not like Roman religion and it was not even like Jewish religion I think we, though, should note something in the text, like, how did this happen? How did this start? Why did this church become, and it did, become the springboard from which the whole Roman world was going to be reached with the gospel? It happened because a couple of believers, a couple of people who had heard this good news, they decided that we need to bring this gospel to the culture instead of asking the culture to come to us. They decided there we're going to get our hands dirty. We're going to take some risks. We're going to believe God when he says that it's really just about faith in him, consecration to him, turning to him, and just accepting him. And it doesn't have to be about rites and rituals and all these other things that we put in the way. These people, and they just kind of did it on their own. They didn't seem to ask anybody, hey, is this okay? And they just said, we have this good news and people need to hear it, so we're going to go and tell them about it. We live in a weird place, right? <laughs> Beautiful. A lot of great things about it. People want to pay a million dollars to live in a house here, <laughs> right? A lot of people want to live here. A lot of great things about Western Washington. But the culture of Western Washington is really open to a lot of ideas, but not Jesus, <laughs> generally, generally speaking, right? Really open, oh, very tolerant, let's, let's do all the things, let's worship all the things, but oh, the Jesus, no, you can't do that. I, maybe I'm simplifying, right? Um, and I think that if we look around, and I think a lot of people feel this way sometimes, if you look around at Seattle and its suburbs, you kind of wonder, boy, is Jesus ever going to be able to do anything with this mess? Um, and, and like as the Jews looked around at the Gentile world, they would have been thinking the exact same thing. How can God possibly do anything with these people? They got to get it together before God can move, right? But by God's grace, some believer thought, well, maybe if we just go and we meet people on their own terms and we just let this light of Jesus shine, that it will be enough and something will happen. And they'll turn to the Lord with real hearts, like, like maybe if we just get the gospel out there, God is going to do something. So if you said, hey, let's get out of our synagogues, let's get out of our synagogues, the place where we're comfortable, let's go even to our home turf, into the culture, the places where we're from, and let's 
go to people who are not even looking for God and let's talk to them about Jesus. Let's tell them that this really very Jewish Jesus has opened up a new and living way for even people like them, people who are not Jews. Let's not be nitpicky about the stuff that doesn't matter. Let's not put our culture first. Let's, let's put the gospel first. Let's just give them Jesus. Let us be free the gospel from the cultural baggage and let us tell them the good news that even they can just turn and receive give forgiveness and have their lives totally changed in a way that nobody can explain because it's remarkable and it's a work of God. And the result was transformative. In I-90, I believe that we live in a place that is not unlike Antioch. So what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? I think, and I talk about it from time to time, we need to be on a mission in our everyday life. We need to be everyday disciples, people who are going out, living out our faith in our normal lives, not in our just Sunday lives, not in our just even our home lives, but in our, in our normal lives. We need to be people, disciples who don't just stick to the synagogue, but disciples who live as disciples of Jesus, people who are seeking him in the world and are faithful to be a witness to culture in our workplaces, at our soccer practices, at the gym, everywhere we go, we can be the sorts of people who are saying, how can I live my life as worship to you, God, right here, right now? How can I be a person who is full of the Spirit of God right here, right now, and willing to speak and invite people into all the good things that God has for them, even though they're so messed up and so disinterested, it seems? How can we be the sorts of people who are willing to go? See, the apostles heard about what was going on in Antioch, right? They heard about what was going on in Antioch, and they, they probably were kind of doing some head-scratching, but these things had happened earlier in Acts 10 and earlier in Acts 11, and so they kind of knew that God was doing something, so they decided they needed to send somebody down to check out what was happening in Antioch before they made any judgments about it. So they sent a man named Barnabas, um, and it says this about Barnabas. He witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit of faith. I, um, I love Barnabas. He's my favorite Bible character. Um, I like, this summer I was, I was, I was thinking about Barnabas, and, and this is like the way the Lord, you know, speaks to you, which is, you know, like, I think I said it other times, it's like 80% sure, 80% sure. That's as sure as I ever get. Um, I, I felt like, I felt like this, this summer as I was, I was just praying and like trying to figure out, you know, because this is my first year, right? My first year as pastor. And, and here's the secret. I never, I've never done this before. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not as the, the full-time, the lead guy, right? I, like when I was, when I came in, like my wife was like, um, when I got this job, like her biggest reservation is like, can you really preach every single week? You? I don't know if you can. <laughs> and, and I didn't know either, <laughs> truth be told, but I think, I think so. And, you know, 52 weeks later, I took a couple off, but 52 or so weeks later, I'm still enjoying it. And I, I hope I still have something to say. You be the judge. But um, anyways, so I, I, like, like when, you, when, you, when you've never done something before, 
um, you like struggle with like, okay, well, how do I do it? And you have like examples in your life of, okay, I'm going to be like this person. And I definitely have pastors that I really looked up to. And I'm like, yeah, I'll kind of like model my life and my ministry after this. And as I was praying like this summer and, and thinking about Barnabas a lot, the, really, the Lord just told me, you just, you just be like Barnabas. Like this is your pastoral identity. So I considered, I'm just sharing some personal stuff with you, right? <laughs> I consider this to be my, like the way that I want to pastor. I want to be a person who just sees what God is doing, the grace of God at work in the world. And I want to just rejoice in what he's doing. And I just want to encourage it. I want to encourage people who are experiencing God's love and grace and hearing, maybe, maybe this God is kind, maybe he's merciful, maybe he has a plan for me. I just want to encourage that along. I don't want to be an expert. I don't ever want to be the guy who, who knows all the answers. I'm, I'm, I'm really not, uh, I don't have all the answers. Griffin and I sit and talk sometimes, and he comes with a list of questions, and like half of them are just like, I don't know. So don't rely on me to be that guy. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to be somebody who just sees what God is doing and just say, look at that. God is working even in this crazy place. God is working in hurting people and people who are so messed up and far from him and who I would never have thought in a million years could ever figure, uh, could ever know God, but, but he's, he's doing it because he loves this, this, these people. He loves broken people. And he sent Jesus into the world to seek and save the lost, right? And so, so we, I mean, I want to take on this attitude. I just kind of want to commend it to you that we can be the sorts of people who go out into the world and we're not worried about like, oh, how bad it all is, but we're so laser focused on just seeing, God, what are you doing, right? It might not look like you're doing as much as we want. Like the world might be a little crazy, but there are people for whom you are in relationship with who you can just like share with. And maybe you see little glimpses, and you can just say, look at the grace of God, little glimpses of his mercy and grace, little glimpses of the word going forward, like little things of hope. And you can just look at those things. And despite all the craziness around, you can celebrate those things, right? Celebrate those things. Be joyful that God is working and just encourage people with a resolute heart. Keep pursuing the Lord. He's got more. He's got more than just this. Pursue him, live, seek him out with all that we have. Like, to me, that is a great missional strategy. I was thinking about this, and I, and I wondered, like, I had this question, like, what if somebody else had gone to Antioch? What if somebody who wasn't like Barnabas went to Antioch, right? Somebody who looked at these Gentiles, and they just saw all the ways that they were missing the mark and not really in the cultural box of, of, of like religion that they knew. I think we need to be clear. Like When Barnabas got there, it wasn't perfect. Like He, he didn't show up to the church and say, oh, you guys are killing it. You guys have done, you've, you've given up all the old ways and you're fully in the new. They were probably a little bit of a mess. We know they were probably a little bit of a mess because the first thing he gets there, he gets there, he says, look at what God's doing. I'm rejoicing this. I'm going to encourage you. And he's like, would you give me like two weeks? I have to go get somebody because y'all need some help, right? So, so he gets on a boat. He goes over to Tarsus, which is kind of across the bay from Antioch. And he gets this guy, Paul, who's been sitting around for 10 years, like who had 
you know, Jesus had, had shown up to him as he was going to persecute the church, and he's just been sitting around waiting, you know, because God had a call in his life. And so for, you know, 10 to 14 years, he's just waiting for it to start. And Barnabas comes, and he gets him, and he brings him back. And, you know, he says basically to Paul, Paul, here it is. Here's what I got for you. I want you to stay with me here for at least one year, and we're just going to teach this church how to live like everyday disciples. Because they're a mess, and it's a little bit ugly, but God is going to do something. And as that happened, and as they were there, uh, the numbers grew considerable numbers, right? I don't know what considerable is, but it must be a lot. Considerable number of people were coming in. They were hearing about it. They were, God was doing a work. And if Barnabas wasn't the sort of person who could look at something imperfect and recognize that the Father was doing something, um, then none of us would be here, right? So what hope, what hope does Seattle have, right? Only hope that Seattle have is, is that the church, we can be like not cynical enough and not bitter enough and angry enough at the culture that we can just say, you know, God's going to do something and it's going to look small and it might be look like a little bit of a mess and that's okay. We're just going to go on and we're going to look for the grace of God and we're going to nurture what God is doing. That's the only way this comes back, right? I've, I've lived in New England, which I know, I know Seattle is pretty crazy. New England is, is like, it's like, if you like think Seattle is like, oh man, the church is dying. Like in New England, it, it died 30 years ago. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. Um, but it's, it's a pretty dark place and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, Christian churches right now. And it, and it can be an overwhelming place to do ministry, but like God is starting to work there. Right? God is starting to work there. He's starting to, to, to work through the crazy culture in there. And I believe that God is going to do the same sorts of things here. As I look around in this room, and as I've been around here at I-90 for the last year, I am so, I'm so blessed. We, we went on an elders retreat this, sorry, elders retreat this past uh, two days. Um, and one thing, uh, I think Sean was just like, hey, it's amazing, like, we haven't been fighting fires all year because it's like, it's like really nice. And, and I, just like, I just like look around and you know the reason we're not fighting fires is because like we've got a lot of mature people here. You guys are great. You're my valentine. <laughs> Justin, see, everyone laughed. No, I said, um, that's not, we, that, anyways, that's an inside joke. I'll, you can ask me later if you want. I don't need to waste your time on that. <laughs> um, so anyways, we have a bunch of mature people here, but let's let's under, let's think let's think through like okay let's think through what it's going to look like. Because if if we become a sort of a church like everyday disciples, we're out there, we're sharing Jesus with people. That means we're sharing Jesus with people who are a bit of a mess, right? And that's great because because that's how what God wants to do. So like maybe maybe like we have you know I don't know are there like sixty people in this room. Most of you guys are like like pretty mature like you're with it. Um, and then maybe when there's hundred and twenty people in this room. Um, Maybe we'll have more fires to put out. Like maybe things will get a little bit messy, right? Got to understand that that's part of what church, church is growing and, and people hearing about the gospel. It looks like a little bit of a mess. I just want to say that just so we can be prepared. We're not upset. We're just going to, when the mess comes and people are immature because people, immature people are immature, we're just going to say, hey, isn't this great? It's an opportunity for Jesus to, to continue to work and to pour out grace and, and to work in people's lives. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. 
I hope that you can too. I'm looking forward to the mess. I'm looking forward when we have some more fires to fight. And because we're just going to fight them with the grace of God, standing on the gospel, standing on his mercy. So let's be like resolved in that resolute of heart that we're just going to say, when people, things get messy and people are weird, we just say, yeah, man, you just keep seeking the Lord. Because he's got really good things. They're not just like, we're not going to set up a bunch of rules and regulate and like all this stuff that isn't important. We're just going to teach people to just keep pursuing Jesus. Just keep giving their whole lives to him. Because he's capable of taking our brokenness and our messed up ways and habits and just renewing our spirits. That's our only hope. If we put our hope in something else, we're putting our hope in the wrong thing. This is, um, oh, I turned that page too quick. As we close out, a, a band can come up here. It's probably going to be a little bit. It's a little more than normally, an extra minute, okay? So don't start playing too soon. <laughs> band can come up here. Um, but as we close out, uh, I want to take note of an interesting verse here, right? It says here right at the end of the passage, the disciples were, the fir- were first called Christians in Antioch. See, uh, Paul and Barnabas, right, they stayed on with the believers. They, they nourished this church. And after a year, the church became really a movement. It was really well-defined. And they started to call them Christians in Antioch. Christians is an interesting name. Uh, Craig Keener, he's a Bible scholar. He explains it this way, okay? Uh, Where this name comes from, he says this. Opponents of the Jesus movement in Antioch apparently decided the disciples, apparently derided the disciples with a new coinage based on Roman political parties, the partisans of Christ or of the Judean king. The term Christianoi is formed on the analogy of Latin political terms such as Herodian, Suliani, Nerionian, Asiani, Pomperanian, Caesariani, and so forth. So to explain that, um, after years of this, this, this movement taking root in Antioch, they get a name and it follows kind of the, the rubric of, of uh, political movements of the day. Not of religious movements, of political movements of the day, right? So there were people who worshipped, who were into Nero, right? Their hope was in Nero, in their Neroniani, right? Neroniani. Um, we are Christiani, right? Christians, people who believe that Christ is their, their hope in the world. It's just like people who believe that Nero was their hope in the world, or people who believe that Herod was their hope in the world, Movements, they were about their, their leaders. That's the, name, the sort of name that they got. We might think, oh, well, that's nice, right? But this is, was an insult. It was intended to be an insult to these Christians. It was insulting for two reasons. First, because it was a, a, just a bold-faced recognition that this religion didn't look like a religion. It didn't fit in the religious box. It looked like something else. These worshipers didn't get what worship was all about. What idiots, Don't they know it's supposed to look like this and not look like some kind of broader social movement? Religion is supposed to stay in the box. Dumbos? These worshipers didn't get what worship, and their movement was such a, like a social or a political party, uh, so they gave them that uh, political name. And it's 
insulting in particular because while political and social movements of the day, right, they were named for the strong people that was supposed to be their hope. Nero was a strong man, Herod was a strong man, somebody who could really muster an army and get things done. And it was insulting because while the political and social movements of the day put their hope in strong men, these silly, foolish Christians, they put their hope in Christ, the one who died on a cross, was dominated by Rome. What a silly thing to hope in compared to Herod or Nero or Caesar. How could they be so dumb to put their faith in this dead king, this Jewish king from nothing? See, Christians didn't have images of their God. But you know what the earliest depiction of Jesus is? It's this. It's called the, um, it's called the Aleximenos Graffitio. It's found in Rome, uh, somewhere between the first and third centuries is, is where it dates from. So for the earliest picture of Jesus. And what it is, it wasn't done as an object of devotion. It was a picture of scorn. And it's a picture of a guy hanging on a cross with a horse's head, which was a way of insulting someone in Rome. I don't, I don't know. I, think, I like horses, but apparently to have a horse's head was a bad thing. And it says underneath it, Aleximenos worshiping his god. It's making fun of this guy, Aleximenos who had the stupidity to think that this dead person, this person who died on a cross, could ever be strong, could ever deliver, could ever do anything for him. Why would you worship something like that? See, the Gentile world, they saw the church, and they saw how their, their worship didn't stay neatly in a box, but it flowed out into everything they did, and they were, they were always on talking about Jesus and his kingdom. But what kind of king was he? What kind of king could he be? What sort of kingdom could he be bringing? And how could it be if he was beaten by Rome that anything was ever going to come from this kingdom? And yet these Christians just kept going and persisting. And they started to get made fun of and told that they're morons and stupid. And yet they just kept growing and people kept rejoicing that they had found something truly real in this saving king and that this king was better than Nero or Caesar or anyone else you could put your hope in because they claimed that this man dead on a cross had opened a way for them to have life eternal life to the full real life and while all the other people around them are putting their hope in something political something that like could just like they could put their hands on they're putting their faith in the power of this dead and risen king that they can't They have a relationship with him. And they're claiming, man, we are knowing him, being filled with him. We experience him all over the place. He is truly a king. Everything about this movement was different, and it was strange. So how did it succeed? It is a mystery. How did this strange gospel take hold? It took hold because despite all the, the flaws with this movement, people could see these people had something that nobody else did. When the church was persecuted and the Christians, they would line up to go and just say, I'm going to die for Christ's sake. 
because they didn't, they didn't care about all this other stuff. They were just going to their deaths. They were full of joy. They were rejoicing, and people like would respond. They would see, man, these people have something that we don't have. They have something that our little box of religion and our little box of politics, they have something that doesn't stick in those things, in those little cultural bounds. They have something so much greater. Mark Sayers, uh, a pastor uh, in Australia, says this. Probably a billion pastors have said this because it's like just so pithy. But uh, the greatest gift you can give someone is growing in Christ. The greatest thing that we can do as Christians to be everyday disciples, to, to show the world the good news of Jesus Christ, is to grow into all that we're called to be, to live as living sacrifices. So that's our, my invitation to you guys this morning, that we could just be so weird, so weird because we're so full of joy, so weird because we're so full of peace and confidence that God is going to do something despite all the craziness in the world, despite all, I mean, just whatever is going on in the news. Like we can be people who are always rejoicing because we have confidence that one, wherever we are, whatever's going on, like we are right where we need to be. We are right in the hands of our, our Lord and like we can trust him and we have confidence that he's working in. He's pouring out grace. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate it all the way. While other people think we're crazy, we're going to be people who rejoice. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the calling that we have. Lord, let us be people who earn the name of Christian because we're just like so into you. People don't get it. But Lord, let them see, Lord, as we are just fully worshiping you, worshiping you in spirit and in truth and everything that we have, Lord, let the world see. Let us be like a light on a hill, a city on a hill, pointing people to your grace and your mercy, Lord. Let us enjoy it deeply, Lord, all that you have, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let us, uh, why don't we get together? Communion's up here. You can come up during this worship song. We don't have time to do it together, so you can take it back, uh, do it in your, in your seat, and then um, we'll just worship together here.